Chapter Twenty Eight of the Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Luna. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty Eight in Merry England. When Marian recovered consciousness, she found herself on board ship, and a lady attending to her wants. When she was at last able to ask how she came there, the lady-nurse told the following story. On the evening of Holy Thursday, about the time the storm arose, our vessel lay to opposite a place on St. Mary's coast, called Pine Bluff, and the mate put off in a boat to land a passenger. As they neared the shore, they met another boat, rowed by two men, who seemed so anxious to escape observation as to row away as fast as they could, without answering our boat's salute. Our mate thought very strange of it at the time, but the mysterious boat was swiftly hid in the darkness, and our boat reached the land. The mate and his men had to help to carry the passenger's trunk up to the top of the bluff, and a short distance beyond where a carriage was kept waiting for him, and after they had parted from him, they returned down the bluff, by a shorter though steeper way, and just as they reached the beach, in the momentary lull of the storm, they heard groans. Immediately the men connected those sounds with the strange boat they had seen row away, and they raised the wick in the lantern, and threw its light around, and soon discovered you upon the sands, moaning, though nearly insensible. They naturally concluded that you had been the victim of the men in the boat, who were probably pirates. Their first impulse was to pursue the carriage, and get you placed within it, and taken to some farmhouse for assistance, but a moment's reflection convinced them that such a plan was futile, as it was impossible to overtake the carriage. There was also no house near the coast. They thought it likely that you were a stranger to that part of the country, and in the hurry and agitation of the moment, they could devise nothing better than to put you in the boat, and bring you on board this vessel. That is the way you came here." The grateful gaze of Marian thanked the lady, and she asked, "'Tell me the name of my angel nurse.' "'Rachel Holmes,' answered the lady, blushing gently. "'My husband is a surgeon in the United States Army. He is on leave of absence now, for the purpose of taking me home to see my father and mother. They live in London.' I am of English parentage." Marian feebly pressed her hand, and then said, "'You are very good to ask me no questions, and I thank you with all my heart, for, dear lady, I can tell you nothing.' The next day the vessel, which had put into New York harbour on call, sailed for Liverpool. Marian slowly improved. Her purposes were not very clear or strong yet. Mental and physical suffering and exhaustion had temporarily weakened and obscured her mind. Her one strong impulse was to escape, to get away from the scenes of such painful associations and memories, and to go home, to take refuge in her own native land. The thought of returning to Maryland, to meet the astonishment, the wonder, the conjectures, the inquiries, and perhaps the legal investigation that might lead to the exposure and punishment of Thurston was insupportable to her heart. No, no, rather let the width of the ocean divide her from all those horrors. Undoubtedly her friends believed her dead. Let it be so. Let her remain as dead to them. She should leave no kindred behind her, 
to suffer by her loss, should wrong no human being. True, there were Miriam and Edith, but that her heart was exhausted by its one great, whole-consuming grief, it must have bled for them. Yet they had already suffered all they could possibly suffer from the supposition of her death. It was now three weeks since they had reason to believe her dead, and doubtless kind nature had already nursed them into resignation and calmness that would in time become cheerfulness. If she should go back, there would be the shock, the amazement, the questions, the prosecutions, perhaps the conviction, and the sentence, and the horrors of a state prison for one the least hair of whose head she could not willingly hurt. And then her own early death, or, should she survive, her blighted life. Could these consequences console or benefit Edith or Miriam? No, no, they would augment grief. It was better to leave things as they were, better to remain dead to them. A dead sorrow might be forgotten, living one never. For herself it was better to take fate as she found it, to go home to England and devote her newly restored life and her newly acquired fortune to those benevolent objects that had so lately occupied so large a share of her heart. Some means also should be found, when she should grow stronger and her poor head should be clearer, so that she should be able to think, to make Edith and Miriam the recipients of all the benefit her wealth could possibly confer upon them. And so in recollecting, meditating, planning, and trying to reason correctly, and to understand her embarrassed position and her difficult duty, passed the days of her convalescence. As her mind cleared, the thought of Angelica began to give her uneasiness. She could not bear to think of leaving that young lady exposed to the misfortune of becoming Thurston's wife, and her mind toiled with the difficult problem of how to shield Angelica without exposing Thurston. A few days after this, Marian related to her kind friends all of her personal history that she could impart without compromising the safety of others, and she required and received from them the promise of their future silence in regard to her fate. As they approached the shores of England, Marian improved so fast as to be able to go on deck, and though extremely pale and thin, she could no longer be considered an invalid, when, on the thirtieth day out, their ship entered the mouth of the Mersey. Upon their arrival at Liverpool, it had been the intention of Dr. Holmes and his wife to proceed to London, but now they decided to delay a few hours until they should see Marian safe in the house of her friends. The Reverend Theodore Burney was a retired dissenting clergyman, living on his modest patrimony in a country house a few miles out of Liverpool, and now, at eighty years, enjoying a hale old age. Dr. Holmes took chaise and carried Marian and Rachel out to the place. The house was nearly overgrown with climbing vines, and the grounds were beautiful with the early spring verdure and flowers. The old man was overjoyed to meet Marian, and he received her with a father's welcome. He thanked her friends for their care and attention, and pressed them to come and stay several days or weeks. But Dr. Holmes and Rachel simply explained that their visit was to their parents in London, which city they were anxious to reach as soon as possible, and, thanking their host, they took leave of him, of his old wife and Marian, and departed. The old minister looked hard at Marian. "'You are pale, my dear.' "'Well, I always heard that our fresh island roses withered in the dry heat of the American climate, and now I know it. But come, 
we shall soon see a change, and what wonders native air, native manners, and morning walks will work in the way of restoring bloom. Marian did not feel bound to reply, and her ill health remained charged to the account of our unlucky atmosphere. The next morning the old gentleman took Marian into his library, told her once more how very little surprised, and how very glad he was that instead of writing she had come in person. He then made her acquainted with certain documents, and informed her that it would be necessary she should go up to London, and advised her to do so, just as soon as she should feel herself sufficiently rested. Miriam declared herself to be already recovered of fatigue, and anxious to proceed with the business of settlement. The journey was thereupon fixed for the second day from that time, and upon the appointed morning Marian, attended by the old clergyman, set out for the mammoth capital, where, in due season, they arrived. A few days were busily occupied amid the lumber of law documents before Marian felt sufficiently at ease to advise her friends the Holmeses, of her presence in town. Only a few hours had elapsed after reading her note and address before she received a call from Mrs. Holm and her father, Dr. Coleman, a clergyman of high standing in the Church of England. Friendliness and a beautiful simplicity characterized the manners of both father and daughter. Rachel entreated Marian to return with her and make her father's house her home while in London. She spoke with an affectionate sincerity that Marian could neither doubt nor resist, and when Dr. Coleman cordially seconded his daughter's invitation, Marian gratefully accepted and preferred hospitality. And the same day Mr. Burney bade a temporary farewell to his favourite, and departed for Liverpool, and Marian accompanied her friend Rachel Holmes to the house of Dr. Coleman. We may not pause to trace minutely the labours of love, in which Marian sought at once to forget her own existence and to bless that of others. A few events only it will be necessary to record. In the very first packet of Baltimore papers received by Dr. Holmes, Marian saw announced the marriage of Angelica Leroy to Henry Barnwell. She knew by the date that it took place within two weeks after she sailed from the shores of America, and her anxiety on that young lady's account was set at rest. After a visit of two months, Dr. Holmes and his lovely wife prepared to return to the United States, and the little fortune that Marian intended to settle upon Edith and Miriam was entrusted to the care of the worthy surgeon to be invested in bank stock for their benefit as soon as he should reach Baltimore. It was arranged that the donor should remain anonymous, or be known only as a friend of Miriam's father. In the course of a few months, Marian's institution, the children's home, was commenced, and before the end of the first year it was completed and filled with inmates. End of chapter 28 In Merry England Recording by Sandra Luna